With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Grappling Bulletin Podcast. Myself, Corey Stockton, here as always with Connor Drashen. Uh Connor, you got to watch from the sidelines here for Tezos, who's number one. Obviously a, an incredible mm-hmm. event, um, but... Your takes. I mean, just let's get things started right away. How'd you feel about the weekend? Man, right away, super fun. Honestly, I think this may have been one of the uh, who's number one cards with some of just the most exciting matches we've seen in a long time, especially the prelims. You know, the prelims can be kind of hit or miss for us. Uh, we love for it to be exciting. We love, uh, you know, really dynamic matches on the prelims because that's getting out to the most amount of people, right? If you got any, if you got any friends that maybe aren't super fans yet, that's where they can tune in if they're not a Flow Grappling subscriber. So I always get a little bit nervous, um, you know, early on if the prelims are going to really set the tone. But man, it did. The tone was set with the prelims. We had some beautiful submissions, some beautiful jujitsu, and then you know the momentum really never stopped through the rest of the card. Absolutely. And just a real quick call out to, to Dominic Mia. He looked great in his prelim match. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, really brought the energy. And then he did two things right. Right, he put it all out there on the line on the mat, oh, and yeah. then on the microphone. He mm-hmm. also just once again, if, if you're coming to a to a, a tournament like that, and you are the prelim, you are kind of the first thing everybody gets to see. Oh, yeah. It's in your best interest to call your next shot, right? Make a statement on the microphone, um, and he did just that. So so good on him. But, of course, he wasn't the only uh, the only victor on the on the uh, mat at the event who had something to say. Um, why don't we talk about the, uh, the main event? Let's get right into it. Obviously, um, a big change at the beginning of last week, Felipe Pena. We, we've talked about this. Kind of until until we've lost breath, right? Uh, Philippe Pena was preparing to face Gordon Ryan in that mm-hmm. no time limit bout. Gordon Ryan got sick, withdrew from the match. Nicky Rod says, "I'm in." Stepped yeah. right up. That's why we love Nicky Rod. One of the many reasons we love Nicky Rod is he's mm-hmm. always game. He's always down. He told us um, in the the pre match interviews, you know, I'm I was going to train on Saturday anyway. Mm-hmm. Might as well get paid for it. So he definitely had quite the training session there yeah. with Felipe Pena, huh? No questions asked. And also, shout out to Felipe Pena because not only was Nicky Rod stepping up and going, sure, I'll take the match. I know it's last second. I haven't been training. I'll do it. But it's also Pena saying, hey, I've been training for a match with Gordon. I've been training for a no time limit match. And now, you know, you're changing the rules on him last second. Now it's a 30-minute match. There's It's a different opponent. But neither of these athletes shied away from the challenge. Neither of them shied away on the match. They both, uh, you know, came in, in both in great shape. 
you know, both uh, ready to kind of take the kill, both looking for submissions. I don't really think I could have um, pictured the main event playing out any better um, than it really did. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, at sometimes 30-minute matches or no time limit matches have this difficulty getting started, right? Mm-hmm. But neither of these athletes really played very slow at all, right? We had that maybe early action where they both t- had a look at pulling guard, but then they got right into it. Nikki Rod looking for those body lock passes, dropping back for leg locks. Pena using all of Nikki Rod's best weapons against him, I think, in, in a lot of opportunities, right? Uh, when Nikki came close to that body lock pass, mm-hmm. Felipe threw on the Omoplata. When uh, Nikki Rod dropped back for these leg locks, and especially like this deep, probably significant heel hook, Pena turned it around and started chasing the back. And that seemed to be the story of the matches. Nikki Rod engaging, um, especially from the top position, but Pena looking to counter a mm-hmm. lot of what Nikki Rod did, which led to, I think, what a lot of the fans in attendance and, and many at home would consider kind of a controversial decision. I, I have a hard time saying that this could have gone definitively one way or the other, but yep. all three judges did award the victory to Philippe Pena at the end here. Um, definitely not a... Uh, a runaway match from either guy mm-hmm. uh, but did you have you know a, a feeling strongly one way or the other coming out of the match um strongly maybe right I'm, I'm with a lot of the fans whenever I saw that final heel hook attempt that final leg lock I think it was he kind of switched between a few different submission threads realistically that was kind of what did it for me but I also understand the other side right Felipe Pena had beautiful counters off of the leg locks and uh, countering and putting yourself to a position where you're almost taking the back and you're threatening that super dominant position uh, makes a lot of sense to, to reward quite a few points in that direction however it did really seem to me that that leg lock that we just saw was probably the most dangerous submission attempt in the match, un- unless you saw something I didn't. Uh, and that that personally would have had me swayed towards Nikki Rod. However, it's not so great a disparity that I would say, this is a BS call, you know what I mean? Just because at the end of the day, um, the submission, while it looked tight, and there was that moment where Felipe's leg looked like it was in a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, countering that with uh, another back take, and you're forcing uh, Nikki Rod to step out of the submission game to try and, um, you know, disengage. Uh, you can only score that so much, right? Right. And, and here's the thing I, I think about joint locks, uh, even chokes, right? Mm-hmm. But especially arm locks, uh, foot locks, leg locks. There's only one person in the world who knows how tight that footlock actually was, right? And he ended up utilizing that to come to the top position. So while I don't think that was the only thing that swayed the judges, um, I I think perhaps a lot of the positional control and the impetus maybe to attack, who knows why the judges decided what they did, but I don't think it was a steal Mm -hmm. from Rodriguez. And I don't think had Pena lost, I would have been surprised either. So that's why, I mean, you know, as the adage goes, you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. That's the kind of thing that happens, but... We did not lose for that match, right? No. I, th- I think both athletes look great for it. Nikki Rod for coming in on such short notice and going the full 30 and putting Pena in some danger. And Pena coming out and looking like, you know, he's been talking about how well-conditioned he is. He certainly looked very, in peak physical form, so mm-hmm. much so that actually after the match, he took to the mic to uh, to maybe set some plans for what he's hoping for from Gordon Ryan. Uh, let's hear from Felipe here. And... Um... About, uh, I would like to say one thing, that uh, Gordon had a stomach problem. Uh, he said he had a virus or anything like that. Uh, so I would like to challenge Gordon. I can stay here one week more. 
and we fight uh, next Saturday. So I think uh, it's more than enough uh, time to recovery and everything. And he was already feeling better because he was in a restaurant with Mo and all his friends. So one week, I think, is more than enough to feel safe. And I'll be really happy to take this camp and fight Gordon because it's for who I train. I study the game and get prepared for that for no time limit for his game. So I wait his answer. It will be a pleasure to stay here one more week and fight him. Thanks, my brother. Thanks, my, my, my family, all my friends, and all you guys for the support. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for all grab as well to make this fight happen and do this amazing event. So Philippe Pena goes through an intense training camp to get ready for that match with mm -hmm. Gordon. He trains at Atos for several months getting prepared. Um, obviously, the match falls through, but Pena says, okay, well, I've done all this work. Why don't we meet up next Saturday? Yeah. Uh, which you pointed this out to me earlier today. Mm -hmm. Sounds a lot like something Gordon said right after ADCC. Yeah, it did feel like a little bit one of those comebacks of just, I don't think anyone realistically expects Gordon to go, all right. Next week it is, right? But at the end of the day, at ADCC, Gordon said, you know, after he wins, what was it? I believe the absolute. He says, Felipe Pena, where are you at? We still got the match rolled out. Let's do it again. Which, I, in that moment, I don't think anyone realistically expected them to clear the mats, have Felipe versus Gordon, you know, actually run it back right then and there. However, it is a great call out, and I'm here for the drama. And, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see this match happen in just five days time but whenever it happens i think felipe's uh outing at who's number one this weekend only adds to the uh the the, the hype of that forthcoming match right mm -hmm. whenever it happens i'm sure that uh penna's performance here bolstered um kind of my excitement at least for how penna could look against gordon ryan in the next match i did have a question for you actually i was curious we talked a little bit about penna but one of the things that I saw from Nicky Rod, not just in this match, but you can go back to his match with Gordon itself, he is no longer shying away from leg entanglements. I thought that was an interesting uh, strategy, especially against Felipe Pena. He's obviously Gordon's former teammate, Nicky Rod is, right? So I don't think, you know, he's unaware of how the previous matches went between Gordon and Pena. He saw <laughs> that back take off of that same kind of leg lock exchange, but it did not sh keep him from actually engaging in it. Felipe Pena also threatened with almost that exact same back take sequence against Nicky Rod as well. So I just thought that was a really interesting play. Um, you know, we knew he was going to come in heavy with uh, hard wrestling, body lock passes, etc. But I would not, you know, that was not on my bingo card. No. Him jumping back for a heel hook Ex on Pena. Extremely bold strategy there, actually, from Nicky Rod to attack Pena's legs because we've seen that Pena, of course, one of the best back takers and finishers from the back in the business but especially when that back take happens in the counter to a leg lock right he, mm -hmm. he might be the best i don't know leg lock counter back taker that's <laughs> very wordy uh we'll come up phrase, with something sure, yeah. something more marketable yeah, no, in the future very good at that like mm -hmm. that that penna back take is, mm -hmm. is exactly what it's called right i think craig jones may have coined that term but doesn't matter who coined it right you know that if you're going for a leg lock on Felipe Pena, he's going to try and take your back. So the kind of bravery to uh, for Nicky Rod to go out there and say, 
I think I got this. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, Nicky Rods, he probably throws plenty of leg locks in the room. I'm sure he's comfortable with it. However, even if he's been working on that, let's say Nicky Rods been working on heel hooking efficiently for, what, two years. So let's just say two years. That's still a, a crazy short amount of time to then test that technique on the highest level stage against Felipe Pena and to do it nearly successfully enough to convince the crowd that, no, 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 Pena didn't get that win. I got that win. That's, I mean, I think I think B team as well as Nicky Rod should all kind of be patting themselves on the back, popping a bottle of champagne, and just saying, "Hey, that's a victory in and of itself, even if it is just a moral one. Maybe not on the the record books, right?" Yeah, and and I don't know exactly where the uh, odds makers at the beginning of this match ended up, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was whether it was Pena the favorite or Nicky Rod the favorite, but this this match was close. I remember seeing the odds were relatively close. Um, which is kind of different than a lot of the other matches on this card, right? There were a lot of heavy favorites, a lot of heavy underdogs. Um, really inspiring in ways, exciting in other ways to see how many of the heavy underdogs oh, yeah. shine through, shown through uh, at who's number one. None other than, uh, for, for one, the light heavyweight champion Pedro Mourinho, right? Domain Pedro event. was a heavy underdog in his match against Giancarlo Bodoni. Um, not the first time he's been the heavy underdog in a title match, but this time he's coming in as the reigning champion mm-hmm. against the ADCC champion Bodoni, and he was, I think, something like minus minus two eighty five, minus three hundred, or sorry, plus two eighty five, plus three hundred, somewhere along there. So to go out and to take Giancarlo down not once but twice, and then to entirely neutralize him on the ground shows that I think the odds makers are. are had better consider Pedro Mourinho a favorite coming in next time. He was a minus four, sorry, a plus 400 underdog when he first won the title against Mm -hmm. Craig Jones. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for anyone who's number one stage or otherwise to grab Pedro Mourinho to drag him down to the ground and actually be able to keep him there. Um, as well, it's going to be hard to beat him on the feet. So it feels like you know uh, forcing him into a jiu-jitsu ground technique shootout is going to be your path to victory if you got Pedro Mourinho against you. But how do you even get him there? How do you pull him down when he's on the ground? How do you keep him there? And the whole time... You know that guillotine is just uh, you know one move away. So that is a uh, having him have the belt. It, it feels like it's very secure on his waist right now. I, I'm not sure who's going to be the one to take that from him. And watching Pedro play his top game too, he's maybe not as forward fighting as as some other athletes. Right, he he tends to sit back in the pocket, but I think he sits back on his heels a little bit because he knows. All they need to do is mm-hmm. sit up into me. And Wrestle they got up this once. Thing waiting for him, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just try and sit up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think though that Pedro also took it personally that Giancarlo um, said in his pre-match interview, uh, "I think I'm better than him on the feet." Because uh, Pedro pointed out in his post-match interview that he said he was a better wrestler than me, and Pedro, at least in this instance, proved Giancarlo wrong. Right? He took him down two or three times. Um, and Pedro, not done, maybe uh, coming after some of the, the new wave big wigs here. Right after the match, he got on the mic and he made a call for his next opponent, mm-hmm. said he wanted to face Nicholas Mergali. Did not take Nicholas Mergali very long to respond. He came in and said, well, you deserve it. You, you, you won. Fair call Let's out. make this happen. Yeah, man, and I love that. And I think it's going to be super fun. I loved watching Pedro's wrestling 
on his feet. The style that he comes to, um, you know, fight with is so fun because it does feel like it's a very in-your-face smash mouth. You may be going out of bounds, so he's going to give you one extra shove just to make sure that you know he put you there. You know, you didn't slip out of bounds. He came and shoved you out of bounds. And, uh, you know, against Giancarlo, obviously that came out in a really exciting way. Um, I think the match was super fun for me personally as a fan to watch, but seeing that kind of uh, you know, smash mouth wrestling style against a guy like Marigali, where I think a lot of the critique of maybe some of Marigali's previous who's number one performances were his uh, wrestling. You know, the the work on the feet is something that was a little bit of a, a weakness, at least in the who's number one scene before ADCC. ADCC he showed us a little bit more, but I think Pedro coming out with that smash mouth wrestling, with that in your face, trying to trying to piss people off constantly. I want to see that against a Marigali. And Marigali didn't necessarily look look bad in his wrestling, mm-hmm. right? Just maybe a little a little clunky. Um, yeah, less that, advanced. That, that snatch single that he has, it worked against Lovato, it worked against so many others, mm-hmm. right? But I think a snatch single like that does cause some concerns in a match against the guillotine specialist Pedro mm-hmm. Mourinho. And I think that weapon is something that, um, just because Pedro never uses it, doesn't mean it's not impacting the match from mm-hmm. the beginning to the end, right? As, as far as the wrestling exchanges goes, you know, Giancarlo probably didn't want to take a, yeah. a a deep shot, right? Probably wanted to play more of like the, the standing foot sweep techniques, a lot, a lot more snapping, snapping heavy on the head, upper body techniques. He was not really looking to change levels. And I think not being able to change levels from the top or from standing, right? And not being able to wrestle up from the bottom really puts Pedro in the driver's seat in the match because he knows, like like I said before, he's got this kind of curveball waiting for everybody if they get in too mm-hmm. deep. Even if he never breaks it out, just like Corey said, it is a shadow. It's casting its shadow over the entire match. It doesn't have to be there for the threat to be like palpable in the air. And I think there's some other athletes on our card. I would say Kieran Kitchik was one of those where you know he has an incredible leg lock, false reap, right? Mm-hmm. Even if he never is able to engage that specific uh, set of techniques, the top player has to change their game so much to avoid it that it's still a huge part of the strategy, a part of how you choose to pass, when you choose to pass, and how the actual match plays out. But we can get into no, Kieran. Let's, let's talk more about that match. Uh, just last thing, congratulations to Pedro Mourinho, who is, again, the reigning light heavyweight champion. But, and still. And still mm-hmm. right, light heavyweight champion. Uh, but you mentioned Kieran Kachuk and Renee Souza. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Pedro was not the only underdog on this card who exactly. won in an impressive fashion. Renee Souza, also a pretty hefty underdog here. I think it was plus 285 or plus three something. Mm-hmm. Um, not expected to win in the eyes of the odds makers. Um, and for the first 10 minutes of the match, I think you can kind of see why. Kieran was in the driver's seat, and though he wasn't able to get deep on a leg, like you said, that leg lock threat lingered, and it allowed him access to... Uh, like these arm drags to the back and some other weapons that Kieran is well known for. Uh, but in the final five minutes, man, Rene just turned it on. Seemed like he bit down on his mouth guard a little bit, throwing this Darce, mm-hmm. and then uh, transitioned that. Looked like he uh, maybe trying to amplify a little bit, found something, goes into these weird scrambles that are very indicative of Rene Souza's game, uh-huh. and uses that to uh, counter that triangle to Omoplata setup into this beautiful, entirely unexpected, at least for me, knee bar. Um, Leg locking the leg locker always feels a different type of special. Um, And yeah, 
what did you, what did you think of Renee's performance? Well, first off, let me say his celebration, Renee's celebration, hopping to the edge of the mat, all hype. That makes me so happy. That makes me smile every time I watch it. But I, what I really loved about it is when you're taking on a leg locker, right? There's there's one direction you can go, which seems probably pretty obvious, right? I'm not gonna engage in the leg locks. I'm gonna I'm gonna run from it. I'm gonna avoid it at all costs, which is super reasonable, right? You start going for upper body locks and submissions, etc. However, one of the best things Renee did, I think, is strategically choosing when to enter into the leg locks. Because I don't think Kieran felt very threatened throughout most of the match until that knee bar was already in on a knee bar. You know what I mean? It was fully locked on. So, um, you know, stepping away from maybe your opponent's strength for as long as possible until you decide to enter, until you're doing it on your own terms. I think that's super high level. It's easy to run away. It's easy to avoid someone's strength. But to finish someone in an area where they consider their strength because you entered into it on your own terms, that's high level jiu-jitsu. And, and of course, this is uh, all credit to Renee, right? But this, to me, is also indicative of what the right training partners, the Mm -hmm. right team can do for an athlete's game, especially when you're preparing for a specific match. Because if you looked over into Renee's corner, who was there? Keith Keith Krikorian, Kyle Chambers, Mm -hmm. right? Two of the best leg lockers in the business. But it's not just that, right? Uh, Renee has been training, spending some time with JT Torres at Essential. Mm -hmm. There are very few people I can think of who are better at staving off leg locks than JT Torres. And with him, as always, both probably at Essential, but also in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, John Blank. Mm-hmm. Talk about you know technical leg lockers who, who specialize in the false reap. Right? Uh, Renee, if, if you are talking just about kind of planning and strategy in the lead-up to the match, had the best possible team built around him to help him get through this match with Kieran and Kieran's deadly leg locking. Yeah, Kieran's probably one of the biggest obstacles for any athlete that's dealing with him in a division. And a lot of that just comes down to that leg lock defense of seeing Renee open up his game in a way that maybe a lot of people didn't expect. I know there was some, uh, maybe some critiques of Renee's previous performances, not because he hasn't uh, done, you know, tremendously well, but because, you know, whenever you stake your name on one move, one technique, it can, a lot of critics are just going to pop up, right? The buggy choke isn't going to work for everyone. It's not going to work against everything. And if your opponent knows that's your go-to move, it really limits your choices. Even Renee said he struggled with uh, his habits towards shooting the buggy choke in points matches, right? Because he's letting people pass. They're scoring these points. And sure, maybe he gets the buggy choke submission, but it doesn't work out necessarily in the long term. Uh, you know, so seeing him come out here on the big stage, not resort to his buggy choke is great. However, I will call out, Renee did say he thought he was going to end it in a buggy choke, which I love. Still true to form. Threw the little switcheroo at him. I'm not going to go for a buggy choke. Those yeah. days are behind me. I'm yeah. If one all along. Yeah. Uh, I do want to move on to yet another underdog uh, who came out and won, not just one, but one by submission, mm-hmm. talking, of course, about Jasmine Rocha, who was, to me, surprisingly the underdog in her match against Amanda Bruce. She had beaten Amanda at ADCC Trials, Uh, back in April of 2022. That being said, it was by no means a landslide victory, right? Amanda showed uh, a lot of signs that she could have potentially beaten Jasmine in that match. Now, Jasmine told us before their rematch on who's number one that she was playing the strategy, playing the game at ADCC, trying to win based on that format, and that she hoped to come out and show off some of her submission skills on who's number one. She, of course, did just that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't an easy match for, for either of these two athletes. Amanda had 
great opportunities at, at that front headlock. She was looking to finish and choke, and then Jasmine comes through with this powerful knee slice, climbs her way to mount, and then finishes, of all things, what was either, and we're getting kind of back and forth ideas, opinions, reports on this, but either a smother choke or like a Nogi Ezekiel style uh, punch choke. Yeah, and I, I honestly may be the source of a lot of that confusion because I did make the social media post, so sorry if I threw that off. I've been told it wasn't a smother choke, though it looks very close to it. I was told you said it was a punch choke, uh, a Mount so Ezekiel That's kind what of thing. I thought Jasmine had said in her post-match interview, but now I'm seeing stuff on, on social media that she's saying it's a smother. Of course, everybody wants to be the owner of the first smother submission on of who's course. number one, so uh, we may need to review the tape a little further to figure out exactly what the submission was, but either way, in the final 60 seconds of the match for what could have been considered maybe a comeback victory, looked phenomenal. Um, and again, just another underdog who excelled in this match. We should also call out her. Uh, if we're talking about people's post-match interviews, mm-hmm. right? We had some great ones for this season number one. But Jasmine made it very clear, I'm not just Wagner Rocha's daughter. And she said that straight up to Andre Galvao. Can you imagine a more gangster thing to do when you come <laughs> off the match? You go, you go submit some guy. You look to their corner. You look at their coach and say, hey, remember the name? Man, come on, Jasmine. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I love seeing her go out there and get after it. I think uh, she's got a mean style. I think all the Roches have this, like, in-your-face, smash-mouth, do-what-you-can-to-get-the-victory kind of mentality. And, man, did it show off. I love that you could get the finish. <sighs> so fun to watch. And, you know, I, I, you, know you talked about the call-out at the end. I, I love to see all of these athletes stepping up and realizing that, you know, a big part of this game, whether you love it or hate it, is how much you can talk, how well you can talk. Mm-hmm. Because Amanda Bruce was on social media, I think, earlier this morning, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but something to the effect of, hey, that was a nice move, but you know who really won the first match. Let's do this again. Mm, she wants to run it back. Well, you know what I think? I think Amanda should have her another chance on the Who's Number One stage. Well, maybe we find some more opponents so that this can be, you know, I think Jasmine called out. She said anyone from Atos. Maybe that was a, I think she had mentioned Louisa maybe. So I think I think Jasmine has a few names in her sights. But if she just keeps showing up, just keeps doing what she did on Who's Number One Day this Saturday, she's going to have a phenomenal run. Yeah, and I got to say, the 125 and 135 pound divisions are loaded. So wherever these two, uh, these two athletes land, I think there are great matches for both of them um, throughout the division. Uh, people who have, have been on Who's Number One before, athletes mm-hmm. who have not been on Who's Number One before that division, has a lot of room to grow and a lot of athletes that can help us grow it. Yeah. Um, one more underdog who we need to sing the praises of. Jonathan's Gracie. Did not look like an underdog. Making his who's number one debut against the three and one Oliver Taza. People had talked about Gracie's potential weaknesses to leg locks. He showed that not only was he able to stave off, but counter Oliver Taza's leg locks. What weaknesses. And once Gracie got on top, man, Kyle Terra was was telling me in the pre-show just how strong Jonathan is, but Mm -hmm. you got to see every ounce of that. I've, I've never... Felt pressure from a visual so, <laughs> so, so, so powerfully. But, yeah, let's take a look at this. Uh, the, the technique which put Gracie on top where he stayed for the rest of the match. Oh, yeah. And let's, let's not forget, we've called this out in previous shows, but Oliver Taza has shown up on who's number one against some of the biggest 
names in the sport. Jonathan Alves, Mika Galbao. So to see Jonathan come out here and, and put on such a performance, have such a shutdown you know, strategy, and come out of it successfully, he looks like he has been on the Who's Number One stage before and deserves a, at least one more shot at it uh, against you know an opponent that can ideally maybe match his strength a little bit because it did not look like Taza had many opportunities to either regard or really get any serious attacks off of. Man, I will call out, by the way, that back take every time we get it on film, that uh, that hip wedge back take mm-hmm. off the leg lock, something that um, many athletes have become very good at, but always in my mind, Ty Rutolo, Cade Rutolo, Kainan Duarte are like the the best examples of how that back take works effectively. They've mm-hmm. done it on the biggest stages against the biggest opponents. Um, it's something that I spent a lot of time trying to get down after watching <laughs> uh, after watching Ty yeah. working on I think who's number one versus William Tackett, mm-hmm. but just and a great weapon to have when you know you're walking in there against a leg locker mm-hmm. and you think you can win the positional battle. Yeah, and he absolutely did use that too. Beautiful effect. Plenty of highlights from that match. If you guys have not checked out any of these matches, please go back and do. Uh, if Jonathan Gracie is not on your short list for athletes to watch coming in to any of these future Who's Number One card announcements, go ahead and put him on your list because he has essentially uh, put his name on the roster, stamped it there, and uh, I don't I don't think anyone can really deny his spot as one of um, you know the premier athletes in the sport, especially after a big win over Taza like that. One more performance I think we absolutely need to shout out. Really, the only heavy favorite on the card mm. who uh, demonstrated that he de- long, de- uh, deserved that favor, right? Yeah. But of course, the two-time ADCC world champion, JT Torres, made his who's number one debut against Majid Hayes, which is murderous man. foot sweep. Oh. Man, JT's, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how good JT is at just like, I'm sure he's well-rounded everywhere, but there are four or five techniques to stand out as just very JT Torres techniques, right? The, uh, the knee cut pass, mm-hmm. the knee on belly, the Kimura he uses, uh, his some of his back takes, but uh, especially the, those spear double legs and the like the blast double, the arm drag single he hits. But breaking out some new weapons in that just cheeky little foot sweep and then going right back to his A game here against Majid Hage, grinding him down with this iconic JT Torres pressure passing with him lifting the head there. It's just got to be miserable to be underneath that on such a big stage especially. Um, yeah, JT looked... Like back to his usual form on who's number one and said in his post-match interview as well as in the lead-up to mm-hmm. this match that he's looking for more, right? JT Torres, uh, after 20, ADCC 2019, we didn't see a whole lot of him up until ADCC 2022, but he said 2023 is going to be different. We're going to see a lot more of JT Torres uh, in the competition grappling scene. Yeah, and when you're talking about high-level technical grappling ability, obviously technique's a big part, right? And timing those techniques is huge, right? But something we don't often talk about is when in the match do you shoot for your uh, shoot for your submission? Do you try and execute your techniques? And I think one of the things that was most impressive for me was JT wearing down Majid, waiting for him to break, to give up almost completely until the last minute, and then finally... While it didn't end in submission, it's as close to a submission ending as you can get. Majid, luckily, he uh, he got his arm trapped by JT. JT, in the last minute, was really struggling to get that finish. But, man, w- uh, trying an arm bar 
on a guy as good as Majid is just going to be impressive no matter what if you can lock it up as far as JT did. However, what's super impressive to me is being able to break someone like that. Mm-hmm. Timing when you decide to take over. Timing when you decide to go in for the kill. So impressive. So, and that's that's such an important note, right? Because we, I was looking through some JT footage this week in the lead up to this event, and you know, just trying to maybe find some highlights, find a cool clip or a cool segment or a cool technique. The issue with sorting through some JT footage sometimes, and um, it's really just a credit to his technical skill, is that JT will pass the guard, but he only has to do it once. Mm-hmm. JT's going to attack the back, but he's only—he's so yeah. precise and so deliberate about when he acts, why he acts, how much time is left on the clock. Yeah. Have I broken my opponent yet? Are they going to give this away to me? Because those are some of the conditions that it's, it's very clear when JT's competing. He's not going to pass your guard until he knows you want him past your guard because you're sick of dealing with mm-hmm. the pressure. He's not going to attack your back until you, until he's smashed your chin into the, into his shoulder so much that you're going to give him your back, right? And so incredibly technical, incredibly talented, but also, and this is sometimes harder to see on camera when you're watching, when you're watching Jay-Z footage, so deliberate. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, happy to see him back in competition. Looking forward to seeing so much more of him in 2023. Really hope he, uh, he gets more more mat time because it's really just you can study JT stuff forever and, and just keep learning through it. Oh yeah, not wasting an ounce of energy there, just like you said, which is really interesting. I remember some of my first like you go into your white belt trial class and you ask what's jujitsu about. A lot of it comes down to conserving energy, not wasting energy, not trying to force things. And though JT has such a pressure heavy forward style, where some moments like when he's passing, he is forcing you know you to let him pass. However, he doesn't waste an ounce of energy, like you said. He's only going for the move once. He's not trying to throw up an armbar at 13 you know minutes yeah. in or whatever. He's he's waiting till there is uh, you know no question that. The, the submission is as high percentage chance as possible. Well, and that's the incredible thing to me, and we'll move on. But um, because despite how deliberate and how intentional and how technical JT is, he's one of the best athletes in the game. So yeah. you know he can hang in those in those shootouts, <laughs> and he just decides yeah. never, ever to allow yeah. that to happen, which is, yeah, the sign of a, an incredibly high-level competitor. Yeah. He's too good to have to do the shootout. He just doesn't he can opt out. It's incredible. <laughs> exactly. Let's move on. We got some big news coming from uh, Flow Grappling and Flow Sports Studios this month. Starting with, as we were able to announce (laughs) on Saturday, Mm -hmm. Daisy Fresh Season 3, the final season, coming back starting on March 29th will be the first episode. It's going to be a 10-episode rollout across the better half of 2023, so it's going to be kind of a trickle out. There will be, I think, four episodes up front and then six episodes at the back end of the year. But let's take a look at the trailer here. Oh, man. Do we get sound on this? We'll find out. You can do that. That's pretty cool. Rondo says I want to eat it. You think I'll eat it? Don't stop filming when we get pulled over some more. This is the house. It was run by crackheads for a long time. I could put 100 boxes in this yard. So there's been a ton of new additions to the team. People coming from all over different countries, different belts, even world champions. The Rigatoni Ranch. Rigatoni Ranch. I'm all jacked up a Mountain Dew. The grappling horseman just shows up with his cowboy hat and his boots. I fucking got him. My name is Michael Pixley. Pretty much just been wrestling my whole life. 
When he first got here, he was like the meanest human I think I've ever met in my entire life. My name's Dante Leon, I'm a black folk. He's my little baby, you know what I mean? My little Canadian baby. There'll be no fucking Dairy Queen tonight if that's how it's gonna be. I think they're amused by me. <laughs> like, what is this little weird Irish girl doing over here? <laughs> I will fuck him up one day. Well, there's like 30, 40 new people. I'm from Vietnam. Uh, I come from the UK. I came from Australia. He is from Japan. So this is my bed. I realized I could just make the gurney the same level as this bench. Yeah, I sit with my, my wife and my cat in the car. Living the dream. People are realizing, oh shit, if you just put a couple hundred bucks into a van, you could make it a pretty legit living quarters. So this came from the city, um, the official cease and desist. To a lot of people, it's just an old piece of shit building, but to me, it, it saved more lives, including mine, than well, anything else I've ever been a part of, so. When you've been hyper-focused on this since you were fucking two, that if you take that away, what, what do I have? I had no idea what the fuck a purpose is, you know? Like, what am I meant to do? Hey, you gotta believe, man. Everyone thinks you can win, but you. Let's fucking win this thing. I'm a 1500 plus. I'm not even supposed to be able to hang with these guys, apparently. What the fuck? I put a lot of work in for this shit, man. <laughs> They're not ready, man. They're looking past you. They think you just flows little Daisy Fresh Golden Boy getting there for views. When a dude's running his mouth to me, then I'm gonna have to handle it now, so he's probably When we got the cease and desist letter, it was kind of a scramble. I'm gonna show you guys the building, the one that I'm kind of hoping for, the one that I have in mind. Started in a trailer, southeastern Kentucky. Now I'm on one of the biggest stages in the world. You got the governor in your brain that's gonna tell you to stop, quit. It's okay to lose. But you push it back down inside and you swallow it. The whole time you fight. Hey, hey, let's fucking go, baby. Hey, you're the fucking man, baby. Hey, you're the fucking man. Being able to help people and giving people hope and giving them something to be a part of, that's a legacy. That means everything. Workout stuff in here. Yeah. You just put it in there before you work out. Light on fire, and there you go. One day they're gonna put me on who's number one. Anybody 40 some years old, 220 pounds, white to black belt. I don't even care. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you've been following the boys from Pedagogy Submission Fighting for the last two years since 2020. Um, through Daisy Fresh Season 1, mm -hmm. Daisy Fresh Season 2, you already know, Keith Pedigo, Andrew Wilty, Jacob Couch, Alejandro, George. Uh, I'm going to be missing a couple Spatch, of course, right? There's so many just core ca characters in this series. But 
Season three giving us a couple new ones, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Pixley, Rosa Walsh. Uh, the list goes on, right? There's, the group is ever expanding. The team has grown so much. Um, and season three takes us through really the back half of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, starting, I think, the Who's Number One Championships, going through Nogi Worlds, Nogi Pans, this year's Nogi Worlds, Nogi Pans. Um, the, just so many events, right? We got a, a glimpse of Jacob Couch versus Gordon Ryan there. Mm-hmm. So this team competes everywhere. So, of course, there's a lot of opportunities for new stories, really powerful stories following just this this incredible cast of characters. Um what do you think on season three? Man, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm not just excited for the competition stuff, though, because me and you, Corey, we, we're inundated with the competition stuff. We love it, but we're at them, right? We've seen those. We've lived through those. What I'm excited about is seeing their transition from Daisy Fresh, the laundromat, this place of the heart and soul of Mount Vernon's jiu-jitsu scene. Heath Pettigo and the team have poured so much into it. And then we get to see the transition to the professional to the high-level training facility that this team needs and deserves. It's, uh, I've seen videos of the place I haven't been able to visit yet, but it's a two-story place. It's probably one of the better facilities Mount Vernon has, period. And you know now it's filled up with not just you know the same cast that we have of Heath Pedigo and the and the you know Daisy Fresh crew, but we are gonna be able to see, you know, like they said, forty to fifty people just showing up <laughs> randomly. Uh I, I love it. I love the culture that it's built, that, you know, somehow this little place, Mount Vernon, Illinois, has become like its own little Mecca, its own little place for, you know, uh people from all over the world that are into jujitsu but maybe not have they haven't found their place for them to come together and just have have, you know, a little bit of the oddballs, the weirdos, the, you know, the rough guys, the, the, you know, they have some intellectuals over there. And then it's all coached by the genius that is Heath Pedigo right in the heart of America. I got I got goosebumps watching it. Sorry about the audio problem, and isn't just excited to watch through season one and season two again, honestly. Yeah, and that that's a great point, because if for some reason you've been living under a rock, we're not mad at you. Go back and watch. If you're if you're new to flow grappling, go back and mm-hmm. watch season one. Go back and watch season two because it's honestly incredible the transition that some of these athletes, whether they were already you know top level brown belt champions or whether they started with the Daisy Fresh series as you know fresh purple belts like Jacob Couch or like uh, any any of these up and coming athletes, it's remarkable to see the transition they went through starting at Nogi Worlds. 2021 and or sorry, no, World's no, uh, 2019 mm-hmm. and ending up right here now and of course it's not just about the technical development the athletic development it's about the personal development it's been really Absolutely. cool just to to be um however tangentially part of it and to sit mm-hmm. and watch the journey all of these guys all of these athletes and even heath himself have gone through uh it's it's been really cool to experience it and that all wraps up in the final 10, 10 episodes here. Season 3 kicks off on March 29th. But within that time, you should really do yourself a favor. Go back and watch the first 10 episodes. Absolutely. And watch and watch the team compete. we got plenty of their matches on Flow Grappling on our YouTube channel. So check that out. If you have any question as to the type of guy that Heath Pedigo is, just go back on that trailer. Watch the moment he talks to Spatch. He pulls him yeah. aside. He says, hey, 
Everyone here thinks you can win this except you. That is the kind of inspiration. That is the kind of thing we every athlete needs from a coach. And I'm just so happy that the Daisy Fresh crew have Heath Pedigo at their head. Man, I, I, I want. I just want Heath Pedigo to like hype me up, give me a speech, <laughs> no matter what I'm doing every day before I walk into the office. I, that that gives me jitters, man. And we can talk about this all day, but mm-hmm. not the only film uh, coming out of Flow Sports Studios in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, earlier in the month, March, earlier in the month, March eighth will be the official release of the ups and downs of Manaus, which, as we talked about last week, covers the the boys from Manaus, uh, Mika, Fabricio, and Diogo, mm-hmm. through the ADCC trials period, through ADCC itself. We really get to kind of follow their journey from the South American trials all the way to Las Vegas, uh, where they had, as the name might imply, mixed results. Uh, we have a trailer for that, too. Let's Let's roll it. Ups and downs of the boys from Manaus uh, premieres March eighth. Of course, following three uh, world champions in their own right, right? Diogo Hayes, mm-hmm. ADCC world champion, Mika and Fabricio, both IBJJF world champions. But through the ADCC season, uh, really great story with a great, uh, a, a great kind of team of individuals. And you know, you mentioned powerful and impactful coaches. Melky Galvao is another one that just an incredible coach, not just from his technical and um yeah training abilities but also just as a person a great coach who's really there for his team and you can just without ever really experiencing what it's like to be his student you can feel it just watching him coach and watch the way he interacts with his team yeah and if you guys are super excited to watch more from the manaus bros don't forget our very own trey robinson went into the jungles of brazil to get the very as close as you can get to these guys right he went in there we have tons of footage following along both pre-adcc and during the trials of these guys if you want to get a little bit of uh you know a little bit more of a teaser than maybe this trailer put together i'm super excited for it i'm really curious to see some of the behind the scenes that may have happened between fabricio and diogo i i know that that was like that's been a big part of their journey is they having to match up and and someone has to put their dreams of an adcc for example to the side so that their teammate can do it that's powerful that's raw not only that you know i'm excited again to watch this uh, fabricio try and smoke through the absolute i get to relive the victor hugo match again man this is this is incredible what are you excited for man? yeah I, I mean so much of, just that story right because mm-hmm. there's so much that we see watching the sport yep. you know watching what happens on the mat and you know a lot of us don't get the opportunity to see what happens behind it right mm-hmm. like what's going on within the inter- the interpersonal relationships of this team and what what Melky is doing right I mentioned Melky such a, a great coach and a great figure I I want to see what that coaching looks like yep. uh, but 
you got a sneak peek coming, I think, tomorrow on flowgraphone.com. Um, the Diogo and Mika after ADCC took a trip out here to Austin mm -hmm. and uh, they went with Trey and Mike Sears <laughs> to go shoot some guns at, uh, at Sheepdog Response yeah. uh, doing, doing a, a tactical shooting course. So get, get some behind the scenes look there with Mika and Diogo as they do just fun stuff out here in Austin like, like normal people. But of course they excel in that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember the only thing I remember from Diogo and them showing up to the office is I believe Diogo showing up in like a, a raccoon hat there's like a, i don't know it was like one of those old-time davy crockett hats and then flaunting a bunch of like fake money stacks that he got from michael sears desk which that, that was real yeah i meant real money stacks that he got from michael sears desk so if that tells you anything about michael sears desk though that's that's yeah. that's a really great indicator diogo Hayes just walks up and starts grabbing the dollar bill stacks there it's great Anyway, that, that film drops on March 8th. The, uh, the kind of behind-the-scenes vlog there drops tomorrow afternoon. Um, got a little bit more to get through, so let's move on mm -hmm. to what's coming up on Friday. Mm. The Tezos IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix, which will actually feature two Grand Prix and mm. three super fights. Um, there's been some update to the men's GP. Samuel Nagai had to pull out, which leaves room for Elijah Dorsey to slide in. The rookie black belt from Team Lloyd Irvin, who's... Had a great start to the year. He took third at Euros, uh, defeating Marcio Andre of all people mm -hmm. in this uh, in this quarterfinal matchup. And an exciting battle that shows exactly what kind of athlete, um, what kind of perf uh, performance artist, performer Elijah Dorsey is. Uh, these two just kind of went to battle, and there are some interesting matchups here for Elijah uh, because. In the GP, as we've been talking about all month, Andy Murasaki, right? Mm -hmm. Andy Murasaki ended up beating Elijah after this match in the semifinal at Euros. Carlos Inhiki beat Elijah at the finals, uh, at the world finals at Brown Belt in 2022 in June. Um, that was a, a close match. Carlos got the better of it, but I'm sure both of those matches are ones that Elijah wants back. And then, of course, the fourth man in this division is. Jonathan Alves, um, the division's just stacked with two, I would call them maybe up-and-comers and two more established athletes, but Jonathan by far the most decorated, right? He's the three-time pan champion. Murasaki, uh, now a European champion, also just one chance. And then two two rookie black belts who are really looking to to make a name for themselves and great opportunity to, I would imagine, they'll be the three and four seeds mm -hmm. to uh, Murasaki and Alves one and two. Yeah, how do you think if you were to, you know, uh, obviously I'm not asking you to make your prediction right here, but if you were to, uh, you know, try and explain how this kind of sub out affects the bracket, what what are your thoughts on that? Sam Nagai out, Elijah Dorsey in, does it change who you think could be the favorite to win? Is there a Styles matchup here? Interesting question. I, I think I, I can't figure out how Dorsey and – Enrique will stack up, but I would imagine they'll be the three and four. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of who's against who's against who, yeah, and I, the draw. I think either way that works out, right? Uh, both of those guys, both the rookie black belts, will have a test, right? Because yeah. Murasaki is not going to be an easy opponent for anyone at lightweight this year. He's looked unstoppable so far, and Jonathan Alves always looks damn near unstoppable. Um, you don't earn three pan titles by luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. he's going to just... I'm really interested in if we see this in the final or elsewhere, how Jonathan versus Murasaki will stack up because Jonathan has beat Andy twice. Mm -hmm. um, but 
always been competitive, and I think Andy is right now on a hot streak. I think that might kind of add to the dynamic between these two athletes. Despite the fact that Jonathan has won both matches, they've both been close. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I think what's also going to be really interesting to see play out, which we talked about last time on the show a little bit, is how the rule change will affect any of those matchups. So super exciting to see. we got a lot of good experiments here. Absolutely. And the men's lightweight GP is not the only GP mm-hmm. at this event on Friday. There will also be a uh, women's uh, four-athlete GP in the heavyweight division, also for $10,000. All four of the women on this card are world champions, right? Mm-hmm. You've got Anna Carolina Vieira, the five-time world champ, uh, Andressa Sintra, uh, and uh, Nacieli De Jesus, also, I think, both two or three-time world champs. And Melissa Queto is the one-time world champ here, uh, the lowly one-time world champion only but all that all that means is this event is stacked right Uh a a couple of of real top level best in the world athletes on this card uh i think it's gonna be really dynamic and maybe a different style gp than the women's lightweight gp was right totally agreed i think sometimes the men's gps as far as people's attention may uh you know draw a little bit more uh, attention from the crowd. However, I do think this is going to be one of, one of the ones where a women's J- GP may be the best part of the event itself. I'm excited. For sure. Of course, let's not forget the super fights coming to the card. Mm-hmm. Uh, just quickly, Ronaldo Jr. versus Francisco Lowe, which I think could be the fight of the year. You've been talking about that for a month I love now. that matchup. Yeah. I, mean, I can't stop on that matchup. Yeah. Uh, Na- uh, Natalie Hibero mm-hmm. versus uh, Johnny Nalebri. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the 30-minute match between Tynan Dalpera and Izaki Bayens. Uh, that's a rematch from the 2021 IBJJF World Final, where Tynan won his very first world title. Izaki, also a 2019 IBJJF World Champion. Uh, and this is, you know, th- that match was kind of contentious, probably not for the best reasons, right? Mm-hmm. That match was marred by a lot of 50-50 lapel play. Um, but both of these men have vowed that that is not happening in this match. One of them will be submitted. Uh, they've, they've both kind of promised to submit each other. Um, and just both of these athletes going for the kill. I can't imagine this will be a slow match, especially because, as you mentioned, Connor, those rule changes, which are uh, expected to really eliminate a lot of the stalling positions and a lot of the stalling strategies. But also, I think both these guys just really want it, right? Mm-hmm. Tynan got off, uh, excuse me, Izaki, after he won the medium heavyweight GP got off the mat into his post-fight interview and said, I've only got one thing to say. Give me Tynan Dalpera. You know, we, mm-hmm. need, we, need to, we need to decide what happened in that first match. We need to make sure that never happens again. And I've got to show you once and for all that I'm, I'm a better athlete than you. And Tynan, I'm sure, taking that one a little personally, um, can't wait to see what comes of this matchup. Yeah, man. I want to lean on your expertise here a little bit just because, you know, I'm – Maybe I'm just not good enough at jiu-jitsu or definitely understanding jiu-jitsu, but whenever I see Tynan and I see Aizaki and I'm looking at them and they're both saying, I'm going to submit this guy. I can't imagine what either of their path to victory really is, not because they're not both just world-class level black belts, but for that reason exactly. Like, I don't... I don't know what Izaki sees in Tynan's game where he's looking going like, hey, that's my path to victory. Technically, this is where you're weak in. And I mean, I think that that match that you're talking about between Tynan and, uh, and Izaki, maybe that's maybe that's the match where they'll look at and maybe that's where they did learn something about it. But when you watch it, it doesn't look like they came any closer to a clear direction for submission mm-hmm. than, you know, and, uh, than uh, I guess what they're kind of talking about here. Uh, do you see uh, how these guys, uh, what would be your plan for <sighs> tackling it? Like what? 
How does this match up and it's not just be an absolute stalemate? So I, I have a hard time saying this is how you beat Tynan Dalton. Right? Yeah, this is how you beat Zachary Bynes. Uh-huh. But one thing I will say is... I'm going to clip this out and I'm going to make <laughs> that exactly. Yeah, Their styles are very different in... Not so much in their techniques or in what they... Like how they choose to... Yeah. Not in their techniques, but in how they approach the game in terms of energy. Mm. Right? Uh, Tynan, as we see, not slow, but very... Uh, very precise, and he doesn't tend to commit until you've made an error. It's it's almost like what we're talking about with JT, but Tynan doesn't really rely on pressure to do that. He relies on um, back and forth, uncommitted movements. Mm-hmm. Right, he's he's kind of waiting for you to overcommit, yeah. and then he goes. Izaki, on the other hand, he is a bulldozer. Mm-hmm. Right, he's going to get up. He's going to try and wrestle into you. He's going to try and knock you down. He's really going to try and break you with just his output. So yep. they both are high output athletes, just in different movement patterns. Right, Izaki wants to go through you. Tynan wants you to uh, swing and miss. Man, and that folks is why I alley-ooped that question to Corey, right? That's why, that's why we have him here. So thank you for that excellent breakdown. Anyway, uh, I, I want to move into just a couple of results from the weekend, but not mm-hmm. before saying once again, that goes down on Friday, March 3rd, right here in Austin, Texas. There will be a press conference uh, on the day before, on Thursday, March 2nd. So make sure you tune in for that. Both both of the GPs as well as all three super fights only available on Flow Grappling. Uh, let's talk about a couple of the other results from this weekend. Obviously, Obviously, we went really deep into who's number one at the beginning of the show, but there were plenty of other events uh, that, that gave us some great matchups, including Tommy Langaker doing damage out there in Thailand at one. He, yet again for the second time, took home a $50,000 bonus mm-hmm. with his just vicious heel hook over his opponent. Uh, yeah, Tommy Tommy looking good, breaking some legs out there and showing that the uh, the gi specialist has some leg locks after all. That's what's most exciting to me. Obviously, we see Tommy all the time in the gi. Um, he did come out for ADCC trials and won European trials, and he came out for ADCC, but we didn't get to see as deep into the tournament as I think a lot of people would have liked to see from Tommy. Um, so, you know, the more opportunity we get to see him throw on the rash guard, step onto the mats for no gi, and take someone's leg home, also, shout out, 50K is nothing to be like, you, know, you can't just write that off. He may, you know, I don't know what he's buying with that, but that's a lot of money. Yeah, there, there's uh, more good news, I think, for Tommy. That match seems to potentially have put him in line for a match with the reigning 170-pound champion at one, Cade Rotolo. So I think that's a great matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, I think, hit that a little bit down the line. I also want to get into... Um, another just standout grappling performance at one this weekend. Uh, Danielle Kelly mm-hmm. won her match on the same card in Thailand. Um, a little closer to home, Vanessa Griffin and Sean Yadamarco both won their title fights. We've been talking about these matches. Uh, Vanessa defeated Trinity Pun mm-hmm. in the 155-pound title defense. Trinity, of course, the 145-pound champion at finishers. And Sean Yadamarco defeated Kamoy Anderson. Kamoy was the interim 185-pound champion. Yadamarco, the reigning 185-pound champion. That match went really... Kind of an interesting development, right? Mm-hmm. So finishers finishers has this rule in the EBI rule set called the Molly Womp rule, which basically means, you know, EBI tournament, if I don't submit you, you don't submit me, we go to overtime. But what happens if, okay, I pull guard, you pass my guard, you hang out in mount for the whole 10 minutes, and then... The match over. The match is over. You don't submit me. Well, Molly Womp says you had me mounted for ten minutes. That's your match. I, yeah. I don't get a chance now. Yeah. Which I think is fair. 
Yanomarko had a lot of positional dominance in the match oh, against Kamoi, go uh, but wasn't up on ride time. able to find the this submission. Showrunner Zach Maslany says, well, you guys are going to go to overtime. We want to see this determined once and for all. We need a clear-cut winner. Uh, goes to triple overtime. Yadamarco wins on ride time and retains his belt. Man. Well, that's I, I'll at least say that's good to see that, um, you know, no controversy. You hate to see anyone going into an EBI match and maybe having a dominant performance during the regulation time and then not able to secure the victory. Though, you know, shout out to Kamoy. Kamoy is my guy. Love Kamoy. He trains at the same gym as I do. Um, but, you know, it would have really sucked to see someone feel like they had a winning performance and then have that ripped away because of an EBI overtime rule, which – you know, I, I can be hit and miss on whether I'm I'm all in or for EBI. But uh yeah, shout out and congratulations to Sean Yadamarco. Love to see it. And I'm I'm sure the you know, the event is excited to have just one champion at the weight class <laughs> rather than splitting that up into two. So I, I like the uh the development in giving uh these divisions, especially for these shows that have tournaments, you know, once a month, sometimes more than once a month or, or uh events more than once a month. If you have an athlete who can't compete or is mm-hmm. injured, they have an interim title holder. It makes sense. It keeps things moving. But good on them for finally resolving that issue, saying, all right, you're healthy and ready. You're mm-hmm. healthy and ready. Let's, Let's figure out it. who is our middleweight champion. Consistency is key if you want to have belts. Yep. Right? yep. Um, let's move on to what's coming up this week to come. Obviously, we talked at length about the Tezos IBJJF Flow Grappling Grand Prix. Uh, that is on Friday the 3rd. Also coming up this weekend – on the fourth mm-hmm. is a uh, Toro Cup main event being Gabriel Souza versus Gianni Grippo. Ooh. Love this matchup. I think it's a it's a really really cool bout. I can't remember the last time we've seen them against each other. I want to say it was like Nogi Pans twenty twenty one or twenty twenty. They've been in a lot of brackets together, but just haven't uh, haven't met up. This is a great matchup every time. Just their their energies are so much the same, right? Or, or so. Their energies feed into each other. Grippo, of course, that phenomenal guard player who's been spending a lot more time passing recently. Mm -hmm. And then just Gabriel Souza, that dynamic outside passer who just does not stop moving. Yeah. Gabriel Souza has shown us that he is top dog in most tournaments he walks into. And Gianni Grippo, obviously, he's been at this for a long time. Not only do you see him, you know... Competing for a long time, but he's recently, like you said, went over a really big evolution in his game, trying to go for, uh, you know, more submissions, more finishes, really trying to adapt to a style that would be friendly to who's number one. So I'm excited to see it. And, and his passing game really has become one of the best in the business, especially among lightweights. Um, next weekend, March 11th, Sogi in New York, Sogi Winter Wars. We've already talked a little bit about their middleweight bracket, which is still filling out, and of course the heavyweight tournament. Uh, sorry, the heavyweight champ title match between Pachigoli and Alex Nemeth. Mm-hmm. But just announced on the card as well was Keith Krikorian versus Andrew Solano, which I think is a really interesting matchup. Solano, the 175-pound and absolute champion at Sogi. Krikorian, I think he's the 145-pound champion at Sogi. This match is going to be at 170. Oh, man, what a what a come up. But I'll be a fan anytime Keith Krikorian steps uh, on the match. Of course, man. Keith is such a gamer, right? If you yeah. remember from ADCC 2019, his, uh, he entered the absolute division. His first match was Buchecha. Oh, God. <laughs> so he he knows how to give up weight and how to how to look good doing it. I think this match for the, versus Solano. Solano may be an unsung hero out of a central New York, but uh, out of out of a central JT Torres school in mm-hmm. New York. But um, I think he could surprise a lot of people here. But of course, Keith, Keith Corian, one of the best in the business. It's going to be a really exciting match. 
A little bit later down the line in Australia, uh, Subversive Equinox, where the main event is going to be Jeremy Skinner and Ash Williams. Two ADCC trials winners. Skinner won the Australian trials. Ash Williams won the European trials, both at 66 kilograms. Not sure where, uh, what weight category this match will be at, but this, again, out in Australia on the 18th of March, so just a couple of weeks away. Um, and then following that, we've got PANS, which mm. starts on... March 21st runs through March 26th out in Kissimmee, Florida. Still some time for athletes to enter into divisions, but we've still we've started to see some of the top-level black belts filling in. Um, and I, I want to call out real quick the light featherweight division, which already uh, Diogo Hayes, right, Baby Shark, Malachi Edmund, Pato, I'm sure I'm missing a few here, but the for me, right now the way it's shaping up, the light featherweight division is going to be the one to watch. I'm sure we'll see some of the other names sliding in there as well. Um, let me call this out real quick. Pato, Mayhem Alves, Claver Souza, Malachi Edmond, Diogo Hayes, so many more. So exciting. And we get to watch some of the big name athletes that we've been talking about shooting for the Grand Slam, go out there and, you know, take that next step towards it. Yeah, Super so fun. We will keep you posted when all of those European champions, all those world champions register for Euros or register for Pans and see if they can keep their Grand, their grand Slam streak alive. One more event I want to shout out, uh, April 1st, Rise 11 in New York. It is an eight-athlete, 135-pound women's Grand Prix. A couple names in here already hasn't yet filled out entirely, uh, but obviously got to call out Trinity Pun. She is always active, especially in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. Um, What else we got in there? Trinity Pun, Nicole Matthews, Sajara Eubanks, Beatrice Jin, and a couple more. Uh, There's still some slots available in that one. 35 pound championship but april 1st rise invitational goes down in long island new york shout out one more time Corey, for reading off that crazy list of events and i don't think you mispronounced anyone's name either i think you're just killing it brother that's a minute of my hope <laughs> but, uh guys that's going to be it for the grappling bulletin podcast here again tune in on thursday for the ibjjf grand prix press conference tune in on friday for the full event we'll be back on monday to break that event down for you uh don't go anywhere catch you later